So just like we did on Palm Sunday, instead of looking at the story of Jesus, we're going to be looking at the psalm that he recites as he's on the cross. Psalm number 22. This is the word of the Lord, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried, and you and were rescued, and you they trusted, and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shared, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I shall praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Those opening words of Psalm 22 are the words that Jesus Christ uttered as he was on the cross. In Aramaic, it's Eli, Eli, Lema, Sabachthani. And in English, it's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the words that the Son of God said as he saw his Father, as he felt his Father turn his back on him and pour out his wrath on him. When the Father crushed the Son and pierced him for our transgressions. 
Psalm 22 was penned by King David, probably about a thousand years before the events of the cross at Golgotha took place. The Bible doesn't really give us a hint about what spurred David to write Psalm 22. Nothing happened in his life that, they can, that people can point to saying, this is when David wrote Psalm 22. But there are also places in Scripture where David sees things, where David prophesies things about the Messiah who is to come. Because when you read Psalm 22 right after reading Matthew 27, you can see that there are a lot of similarities The soldiers cast lots for his clothes. People mock him and wag their heads at him. And most saliently, David sees the Messiah have his hands and his hands and feet pierced. Psalm 22 and Matthew 27 are clearly linked. And the suffering of of the person that we see in Psalm 22 describes the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross to a T. We see five things about the man in Psalm 22 and five things about the man on the cross. He was a man abandoned by God. He was a man despised by the world. He was a man devoted to God. He was a man suffering the wrath of God. And he is a man leading worship of God. And before we look at those five things, I just want to show you a pattern that we're in those five points that we're talking about a man, a human being. See, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He was fully God and fully man. And on the cross, we see his humanity being torn to shreds. We see his flesh being torn apart. And we see that this person in Psalm 22 is a man. He was born of a woman. He was nursed by a woman. He feels his bones of his body out of joint. He feels his tongue sticking to the roof of his mouth. He's in psychological pain as he feels his heart melt like wax. And he feels nails piercing his hands and his feet. Jesus Christ was a man. Jesus Christ could feel things. He felt the blood rush out of his body. He felt utter abandonment by God. Jesus was the God-man, God in the flesh. And today we commemorate the fact that his flesh was broken and his blood was shed for us. Jesus Christ was a man abandoned by God. Jesus was utterly alone on the cross. All of his friends and disciples had scattered. The only people that were around him were the people either, either killing him or mocking him. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, betrayed him. Another one of his disciples, Peter, who one chapter before in Matthew said, Lord, I will not let you die, now denied him three times. The crowd that welcomed him in on Palm Sunday to the tune of Hosanna to the son of David now is chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Every human being on earth had turned their back on Jesus, but what about the Father. What about the Father who loves him? The Father forsook the Son on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? On the cross, the Father turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to the Son. He turned a blind eye and a deaf, deaf ear, withdrew every ounce of his goodness from the Son, 
and put the full blast of his wrath on his shoulders. Jesus said that the Father and he were one and that the Father spoke from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But on the cross, the Son was the object of the Father's wrath. He says in verses 3 through 5, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. He's saying that, but he's not experiencing it. Jesus is saying, throughout Israel's history, his, their forefathers called out to God and God rescued them. But there was no way that Jesus was going to get rescued from the cross. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there is, Lord, Father, if there is any way, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. And the Father did not take the cup. The Father made the Son drink the cup down to the dregs. God had forsaken him. Not only did God forsake him, but the world forsook him. The world despised him. He was a man despised by the world. He doesn't even consider himself a man. He says, I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. We see Matthew essentially quoting that in Psalm 27, if you remember. Because everyone that was around Jesus was mocking him, wagging their heads at them. They even, the mob even quotes Psalm 22 when they say, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Jesus on the cross is a public spectacle. He is high and lifted up on the cross so that the whole world can see him, can walk past him, hurl insults at him, spit at him, just completely demean and dehumanize him. The psalmist describes this crowd of evildoers in beastly terms. He calls them raging bulls, ravening and roaring lions. They're dogs. These people are beasts who want to see Jesus Christ torn to shreds. They want to see him dead. But why did they want to see Jesus dead? How did Jesus wrong them so much that they wanted to see him nailed to a cross? Did Jesus do anything wrong? Did he lie to them? Did he steal from them? No. Jesus Christ was without sin. Jesus Christ loved them perfectly. Jesus Christ obeyed his Father perfectly. They hated him without cause, but they hated, them, hated him nevertheless. But in loving him perfectly and in loving his father perfectly, just like in Psalm 22, verses 9 and 10, we see a man devoted to God. The psalmist says, Yet you, Yahweh, are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. When we think about Christmas, we think about Mary being told that she was going to give birth to Jesus without knowing the touch of a man. She was going to give birth to the Son of God. Jesus really was the Son of God from his mother's womb. He trusted in him. 
And from the day that Jesus came into the world, all 33 some odd years of his life, he perfectly obeyed the Father. He was a man devoted to God. A man who said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He loved his Father. He and the Father were one. But when we think about that, when we think of the fact that Jesus Christ knew no sin, the cross is confounding. He who knew no sin, being despised by the world and forsaken by God. Doesn't make any sense. Jesus Christ was utterly hated, utterly alone, and utterly tormented when he did not deserve any of those things. Jesus Christ was a man suffering hell on earth. He was a man suffering the wrath of God. Hell is the best word. Hell is the only word that we could possibly use to describe what was happening to Jesus on the cross. Yes, he was actually suffocating. His body was suffocating as he was being crucified, but the most painful thing he was experiencing was the wrath of God. When we think about hell, we think about a place, don't we? We think about where, the, where bad people go when they die. If we grasp the gospel, we think of where we should go when we die, except for what Jesus Christ did for us. But what makes hell hellish isn't its location, but it's what happens there. You are separated from God, separated from every ounce of his goodness, goodness and you are in physical and spiritual torment. And Jesus was suffering spiritual and physical torment on the cross. Listen to his words from the psalm. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. We see physical and spiritual torment here. We see the physical torment of feeling like his bones are out of joint, like he can't speak. All his strength is dried up. But we see spiritual torment when he says that my heart is melting like wax. His heart is a candle that has been burning way too long and is just nothing but liquid. It's gone. That is happening to Jesus on the cross. So much pain in his body. So much pain in his spirit. And if he was able to open up his eyes under that intense pain, what, what would he have seen? The psalm says, and Matthew 27 says, Dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. It's words like that that make people think that David was having a prophetic vision of Jesus' crucifixion because he sees so many specific things. He sees the nailed hands and feet to the cross. He sees the soldiers taking his tunic and dividing it among them and casting lots. He even sees the fact that Jesus doesn't have any of his bones broken because Jesus died so fast on the cross and the whole world started shaking beneath them that the soldiers were ordered to break the legs of the other two men that were being crucified. But when they got to Jesus, they saw he was already dead, so they didn't need to break his legs to expedite the process of the crucifixion. To make sure they stabbed him in the chest, but they didn't have to break his legs. 
there's another part of scripture that, that talks about something's not having its bones broken, and that's the Passover lamb. Passover lamb didn't have any of its bones broken, and neither did Jesus on the cross. But so much is happening here on that day. So, so much that I could preach a year's worth of sermons on what was happening right there on the cross. So much was happening right there at Golgotha, and so much was happening in a spiritual realm that we can't even fathom. So much was happening in, those, in that psalm, but there are two sentences in Psalm 22 that stick out the most. And that's the last part of verse 15, where the psalmist says, You, God, lay me in the dust of death. Then the last part of verse 16, it's they, this company of evildoers, have pierced my hands and feet. Ask, your, ask yourselves this, who is responsible for Good Friday? Who is responsible for Jesus Christ dying on the cross? Is it God? Or is it the company of evildoers? The answer is yes. It's both. In Psalm 22 it says that God laid Jesus down in the dust of death. And Psalm 22 also says that it's these evildoers who executed Jesus. Peter, when he's preaching at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he says this to the people that are listening, listening to him preach. Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So yes, Evil and lawless men crucified Jesus, but what they meant for evil, God meant for good. What they meant for evil, God meant for something so much more. And we can tell that from Psalm 22 because the psalm doesn't end with this man having his hands and his feet pierced. It's only about halfway through. There's still a lot of psalm left, isn't there? It's because this man who had his hands and his feet pierced was raised to lead people into worship of God. In verse 22, after he's crucified, after his heart is melted like wax, what does he say? I will tell of your Yahweh's name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. How did this man who was just crucified, how is he now standing in the midst of a congregation praising Yahweh and inviting people to praise Yahweh along with him? Something had to happen in between, right? But he's not just inviting the offspring of Israel. He's inviting people of all nations all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Jesus Christ is bringing people of every tribe, every tongue, and nation to worship the one true God through him. And it's not just at that point in time. If you look at the end, it's all people for all time. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. 
That verse is talking about you. That verse is talking about you who lived 2,000 years after Jesus Christ died on the cross hearing of what he did. Hearing that the Son of God took the wrath of God for sinful men and women thousands of years later, echoing throughout history until the Lord of history comes back. As Christ was hanging on the cross, this thought did not escape his mind. It did not escape his mind what he was accomplishing. It didn't escape his mind that he was saving people from hell by taking hell for them. It did not escape his mind that he was going to bring the whole earth to worship God through him. Even though he was under intense pain, spiritually and physically, he knew what he was accomplishing. And then he finally accomplished it. And he said, it is finished. Lord, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. And it was done. It was finished. He did what he came to do. It is finished. And those are the words that need to ring true. It is finished. It is finished. His forsaking by the Father was finished. His bearing the wrath was finished. His work to save you and me was finished. His work to save us from hell was finished. And for those of us who have put our faith in the Son of God who was forsaken on the cross, we are now sons and daughters of God because it is finished. What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? When I was sinking down, when I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. This is a dark day. This is a dark day and a scary day for the disciples as they fled and they hid themselves in the locker room wondering if they were going to be next. Friday was a hard day and Saturday was a hard day. And everyone thought Sunday was going to be a hard day too. But come to church on Sunday and see if it's a hard day. Let's pray. You show your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When there was nothing good in us, when there was everything bad in us, you sent your son to die. You gave your son so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And it's today that we recognize just how much pain was involved in you giving your one and only son.
how much pain was involved in saving sinful wretches like us. But you did. He died our death so that we could have eternal life. And yes, we will celebrate the eternal life that we have on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. But Lord, let us never forget just how dark Good Friday was. Lord, be with us as we close our time of worship tonight. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.